Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. In John 10.10, Jesus gives a snapshot of what He came to do. He, he says something really interesting. I've come to give you life and life to the full. And it's such an interesting phrase for Jesus to say, to summarise what He'd come to do. He did in fact prepare that word by saying, there is a thief who is out to kill still and destroy your life, to rob you of life itself. But Jesus has come to give life and life more abundant. And that word life in the original language meant to be vibrant, meant to be vigorous, meant to be genuine, meant to be real, meant to be absolute in fullness. And I think if anything less than that life is less than what God has made available. That when Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full, I wanna encourage you, whatever place you are in right now, it is available because it is a free gift of life in Jesus. That He desires to empower you for the day to day. Not just from Sunday to Sunday, but for your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday and your Friday and even your Saturday that is a living, breathing relationship with a God who knows you and pursues you. But to do this, Jesus adjusts us along the way. To do this, Jesus invites us in a journey. And the invitation is one where we are invited to follow Him. The good news about following Jesus is He does not run ahead and turn around and is disappointed that we weren't able to keep up or keep track. He simply walks with us along the way and invites us to follow Him instead of the other things that would demand our attention. And I know it's a war. I know there's so much warring with us to grab our attention and to lead us into a life of distraction. But we have an opportunity to choose to lay that aside to follow the one that said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Today, as we're talking about what it means to thrive in life, my message is called Different But Better. Can you say that with me? Different but better. I'm going to knock it over. I really like that. You can just perceive things before they happen. It's a gift. I've noticed that gift in relation to our children too. Often I'm in the midst of something that you would have perceived long before, like giving them Easter egg chocolates for breakfast. I, I remember you saying that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but I went ahead anyway, didn't I? And I, I suffered because of that. Isn't parenting just running headlong into it? One of the things Jesus came and did was that He upended expectations that people had for Him. You know, if you've not read the Bible or if you're struggling right now to read the Scriptures, one of the best things that you could possibly do is just live in the first four books of the New Testament. The Gospels, the accounts of what Jesus did personally and actively in the lives of people, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And you, you could do a lot worse than just spend your time rereading those books slowly until you start to get a picture, a compelling picture of who Jesus is. Because if you can get a picture of who Jesus is, what that in fact gives you is a picture of where He is leading you. Jesus desires to lead you into the life abundant. But He did it by flipping the expectations of the day. Jesus was born into a time in history to a group of people that had suffered generations of oppression. 
At the time of Jesus' birth, his nation, Judea, was ruled and controlled by Rome. They had an opposing force, keeping the peace by keeping people oppressed and intimidated and bound by the fear of violence. Roman centurions and soldiers would walk the streets, keeping the peace by intimidation. And into this generation, Jesus was born. And the people had been waiting and asking God for a Saviour, somebody who would come and deliver them from this oppression. And their expectation was that as Jesus started to do the things that He did, as He started to heal the sick, as He started to raise the dead, as He started to gather people and teach them about the Kingdom of God, their expectation is that this Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. But see, their expectation of Jesus was different than the reality of what He came to do. Their expectation was that Jesus was going to teach them how to rise up, pick up weapons for themselves, and drive the Romans out of their land. And in fact, as people journeyed with Jesus, they were disappointed to find that He had a different purpose in mind for them. I need to say to you, it was a different purpose. It was different, but better. It was different, but better. Because the way of that generation, the way of the world has a set thought in mind that if I just do what I think is right, that will fix everything. But often that just makes things worse. That if we live our lives listening to our own idea of wisdom too easily, we can bring fire on fire and add fuel to it and make things that God would want to turn around for His good so much worse. In the time of Jesus, He gathered people together to empower them with a different way of living. And I believe that different way of living is still relevant for us today because it is so easy for us to get caught up and lose track of who and what we're called to be. In a section of Scripture that Pastor Carolyn started with last week called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus directly challenged some of the things that were hindering people from entering into a relationship with God in that day. Things based around rage and anger and lust, not protecting vital relationships. He even challenged them to show love to their enemies which had been something that had never been actively brought before. Jesus was a counter-culture revolutionary. And He brought a teaching that challenged them to their very core. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 38, 39, 41, Jesus says this to a group of people so numerous that He had to set up shop on the side of a mountain so that He could engage with them at the level that they were at. He brought a teaching to them with His own voice, crying out over them so that they could hear the truth and begin to live it. Because as you hear it, you have the opportunity to receive it. And if you receive it, you have the opportunity to live it, but only if you put it into practice. It's not enough to hear. It's more about what we do with it. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 38, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
What do you mean, Jesus, don't resist an evildoer? I remember reading this portion of Scripture for the first time and recognising that the saying that's in our culture of turning the other cheek came from here. The saying of go the extra mile came from here. But I wonder if the way that we understand it from the world's perspective is not how Jesus intended to bring it. See, I always interpreted turn the other cheek to mean that what, Jesus, do you expect me to be a doormat? Do you you expect me to be somebody who allows abuse and oppression and attack? Is that what it's about? Going the extra mile, Jesus, is your expectation for me is that I would serve masters instead of serving you. And I gotta be honest, as a brand new follower of Jesus, as I started to encounter God in His written Word, that became a challenge for me. But see, for us today, when we read the Scriptures without understanding the context that Jesus brought it in, we lose some of the meaning. Because again, Jesus is speaking to a people that have been ruled and reigned by Rome. And here's what the Roman centurions could do. They were not allowed to bring violence to bear unless they were provoked. And so they would intentionally look for opportunities to provoke. One way was if you were on the side of the road walking or busy about your business, the Roman centurion to practise crowd control to keep you in line, could come up and strike you, but strike you in a certain way. So notice the Scripture says, if you are struck on the right cheek, turn the other also. You know, things aren't in Scripture by mistake. Why did it say the right cheek? Why so specific, Jesus? Why not just the cheek? No, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other. Okay, what is that about? What if, think about it. The vast majority of Roman centurions are right-handed. And if they go up to strike somebody on the cheek with their right hand, like Geordie, who has possibly the hardest punch I've ever seen in my entire life, comes up and strikes somebody with their fists, cleansed like that, there's no way for them to hit, a right-handed person to hit the right cheek. How are they doing it? They're going around like this? Take that. They couldn't do it. There's only one way for a predominantly right-handed centurion army to strike somebody on the right cheek with their right hand. And that's to backhand them. With a backhand, you could slap them on their right cheek. And so here's the deal. In the culture of the day, Roman centurions would use the backhand, not as a way to hurt, but as a way to humiliate. Now I know currently in our culture, we know the effects of a public slap made available. And I do not want to unpack that. I have no commentary on that. It just so happens this happened 2,000 years ago in context. And we saw it played out at a certain movie awards show as a train wreck. But there's something about a slap that is degrading and demoralising and brings down low. So understand this. The people Jesus is speaking to are farmers, Family people, carpenters, builders who do not have weapons. And as a centurion comes to strike them, and there is no way for them physically to defend themselves. What if Jesus was saying the way that you can wrestle power back in this situation is to stand up, look them in the eye and offer your left cheek as a way of saying, I am equal to you. I am not below you. I am not less than you. I may not be able to pull a sword on you, but I will not step back from you. 
And I will offer the other cheek, not as a way of allowing you to dominate me, but as a way of me to stand above you. See, it's so easy for us to be overcome with putting priority on our problems that it would cause us to pull back in life instead of what Jesus actually says that, yes, you will face problems. Yes, you will face persecution. Yes, the world is broken, but you can lean into it and dominate over it if you carry His strength and His heart into whatever situation and event you are in. What if turning the other cheek is not an act of submission, but an act of overcoming? What if you meant to humiliate me, but I stand and correct you? I will not be humiliated by you because you in fact have no authority over my soul. The words of Jesus spun the paradigm. They were expecting Him to say, pick up arms and fight back. He said, if you really want to overcome, don't draw from their rage, draw from the peace of God. He didn't stop there. He went on to say, if somebody says for you to carry their pack one mile, carry it too. So in a very real context, the Roman centurions, as they would march from town to town, village to village, city to city, would carry with them besides their weapons, packs that weighed 40 to 60 kilograms. And their right as the ruling nation over other nations was to demand bystanders and passerbys, no matter what they were doing, a mother with her children, a father planting seed, they could demand legally that they stop what they're doing and come walk with them for one mile to be their pack mule. And if you denied, you were killed on the spot. And so into this culture, Jesus says, when somebody demands that you carry it one mile, at the end of that one mile, Turn around and look them in the eye and say to the effect of this, I'm so glad you picked me today because obviously you're tired and worn out and I'm strong and vibrant and cannot be broken down by this. Let me serve you by going an extra mile so that I can help you. Talk about a way of overcome. To not be ruled by the problems presented but instead to overcome with the strength and grace that God gives. Be a better kind of different. You know, it's so easy to choose to respond the way that we see others respond around us, to get back at. But in reality, what happens is we descend down to a lower level of life. What if the highest level of life available is the way of Jesus? I know it's different. I know it's very different. I know it's different. It's not what's out there trending on Instagram. I know that. I know it's not what's popular on YouTube. I know. But what if in being different, it is better? What if this is some of the secret sauce to a life that is abundant and full? by the way we respond to the problems presented. So I wanted to submit to you as we unpack, how can we be a better kind of different? Just three thoughts I wanted to submit to you before the worship team comes up. First one I wanna suggest is pursue the good. 
No, pursue, no, make it an active pursuit. Make it an intention. Make it a commitment. Make it a reality. Make it a choice. Do you know that everything in the Kingdom of God is choice? God does not control you and make you. You get to choose to and respond to Him. And that's what makes it real. That's what makes it powerful and vital. Pursue the good. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Do you know getting good is hard work? Not just doing good, getting good is hard work. I made a commitment this year that I would learn three things that are difficult to me, three things that I keep on picking up and stopping. On Fridays, I have a commitment to joining a group of guys and going out surfing. And I, for the life of me, cannot stand up on a surfboard. And we keep on saying, the guys keep on saying to me, embrace the suck. You know, to get good at something, you have to take the hits. And I suck. Probably the most important one though is I love playing chess. Or I should correct that. I love the idea of playing chess. And I'm subscribed to a chess app where I get to jump on, even at the moment, I could open up on my phone right now and just click a button. And within five seconds, I could be playing chess with somebody in India. And the way that it works is my grading is at a level where they would match me up with people of my same grading. Edith says seven-year-olds. I would suggest maybe 10-year-olds. And I have to tell you, my record on this chess game, I'm not kidding. You wanna hear it? One win, 70 losses. (laughs) I love it. It takes work to be good and to pursue good. That idea pursue means to, with intention and direction and with a challenge and intention of the heart, it's an active choice. And that to live a life that is different but better, a life that is above and not beneath, a life that overcomes instead of allowing overcoming to come on us, is a life that says, beginning with anything else, before the day starts, I've made a dedication to God that I will pursue the good. That when I have an opportunity to repay evil with evil, whether it's a snide comment, whether it's passing on gossip, whether it's being slanderous in what I do, whether whether it's taking something I should not take, that I've already made a commitment in my heart that when evil comes on me, I will not allow myself to respond in like, I will bring a different spirit. I will pursue the good. And I have to say this does not come natural, but it is supernatural that the way of Jesus empowers us to be different but better. Pursue the good. Do you know what good means? It means to be of benefit. At its core, if I could just summarise that word, what is good? To be of benefit. It actually means making a choice and intention that I will be of benefit to people who do not deserve it. Because God in Christ Jesus was good to us before we deserved it. Pursue the good. Second thought I'd give before we go to the last. Respond, don't react. Don't go up on stage and slap somebody. Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. 
The book of Proverbs is called the wisdom book of the Old Testament. It's wisdom for how to live life. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Notice how it does not say, make your enemy your best friend. Your enemy is still your enemy, however that may look or act in our current culture. But instead of responding in like, instead of reacting, I should say, and living a life of reaction where they present heat and you heat up, whether they present aggression and you present aggression in the back, that you choose to respond rather than react, that I will bring the different thing into this scenario. If they need something, I will give it without expectation, without looking for their praise or their approval because I'm above it. I do it because I love God and God loves me. And I do not seek my sense of worth whether somebody likes me or does not like me because I can choose to love them no matter what. See, we live in a transactional culture where I will do if I get in return. And if I do not get in return, then that devastates the relationship. In fact, the trap when marriages get unhealthy, it falls out of rhythm where both are trying to repay back for each other things that they're missing. But what if we live a type of life where we receive what we need from Jesus and then give out of that? What if there's a way to live above and not beneath? What if it's different but better? Well, we choose not to respond or I should say react, but instead respond as if Jesus was there with us in person, because He is. My final thought with you, so bring this to a close, is love life by investing blessings. I have a Scripture to unpack and then a final story. It says in 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. That's interesting. To obtain a blessing, I live a life where I bless. For whoever desires to love life, oh, come on, come on. Come on, life is worth loving. Life is worth enjoying. Life is worth celebrating. Life is great because Jesus came to give life and life to the full. But what if the secret source for life to the full is whoever desires to love life and see good days, they do this. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Be of benefit. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Come on, with intentionality and desire as a choice to go against the grain, against the culture we live in. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. You're not alone. You're not alone. All it takes is a moment when you're feeling alone just to stop. That's why prayer is so powerful. You can engage with the Creator of heaven and earth. Because He loves you and He desires a relationship with you. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Final thought here, as we bring this to a close. I have the honour of co-leading a men's connect group fortnightly on a Wednesday night. 
a few weeks ago, because of the busyness and family commitments and things that had come up, that night, only myself, my co-leader and one other could join. And in the natural, you're thinking, well, surely let's just can it. We've got other things on. We, we, we're not getting the whole group together, but I have a rule of life that I'll remain consistent regardless of what anybody else does. And that's no indictment against the rest of the men in the Connect group. They had good reasons for not being there. That is no indictment. But see, the truth is if everybody else was busy for good reason, without feeling guilty, and nobody could come, I would still come and pray. Because I have a rule. Consistency is key. Because if you continually show up, you allow God opportunity to work through you. No matter what the response is. So we showed up. And the night basically was a question. What has God been saying to you? If you lead a connect group and you have nothing else to bring, bring that question and allow people the opportunity to process and unpack. We need more of that in our culture. When we jump from one thing to the next, we don't often stop to think, what has God been saying? And I promise you, God has been speaking to you. You just need to stop and process it. And so that night in the connect group, we had a gentleman who is honestly, has become one of my greatest inspirations. He has been suffering with a life-threatening illness. A few weeks before, he'd been in hospital at death's bed, honestly. And it was a miracle that he was there that night sitting across from us. And as we asked the question, what has God been saying to you? He said, I have to tell you what God did in me. And to hear his heart for Jesus, even though he's facing such difficult problems, has been something that constantly resonates in my heart today. So he told me a story. He said he'd just come out of hospital the week before. It had been serious. He has young children. And as he came out, one of his daughters said to him, Dad, can you please take me to the forum so that we can pick out the baseball cap that I want because I just want to spend time with you and be with you. And he did what any good dad would do, but especially a dad in the circumstance that he is in, that he took his daughter on a date, took her into the shop and said, pick out whatever baseball cap you want. She picked out the most expensive baseball cap, $100. I didn't even know you could get $100 baseball caps. It's lined with gold and diamonds, whatever. She wears that with pride. And what an amazing gesture from Dad who could have been captivated by his problems, but instead chose to give and be of benefit to his daughter. She goes to school the next day. Somebody in her year notices this baseball cap and for whatever reason, they decide that she shouldn't have it. So there during recess or around that time, this student takes her hat and destroys it in spite and animosity. My friend, Connect member is called into the office. Now, if it was me, we're talking about my daughter Zoe, I think I may have been packing heat in that moment <laughs> that I would have been asking the principal in all honesty, you either show me who that student is or I'm gonna walk through the school and demand to meet that person eye to eye. Well, it won't be eye to eye. <laughs> but here's what my friend did. This is real. This is real. He went down to that shop again 
He bought a hat for his daughter to replace what was stolen and destroyed. And he bought another hat, same one. Spent $100 already on a hat, now he spent $200. And a replacement and one more. He goes into the office with the one more, meets with the principal or associate principal and says, I want you to give this hat to that student who destroyed my daughter's hat. He had one rule though. He said, I want you to do it publicly in front of the class. Not as a way of shame, but as a way of overcoming the culture that says it is okay. See, as Christians, we are not doormats. We are not called to submit to situations that are unfair and just say, well, it's me. We're called to bring the opposite spirit to life. And it's okay to confront what is evil, but do it with what is good. So instead of doing it in secret and sitting down with the boy and saying, if you're okay, please take this. Do it publicly to show that there's a better way to live. It's different, but better. And so they did that. Could you imagine the emotion present in the room? I can't stop thinking about that story. Here's why I can't stop thinking about it as we bring this to a close. Awaken City. We are called to be different, but better. But it is an active choice. You will get backhanded by life. At times where you don't feel you have the strength in you, you will be asked to walk a mile. But overcome it. Overcome it by going the second to show that it does not rule you or dominate you. Turn the other cheek because you have the strength in you in Christ to not allow anything to dominate you or rule you. He is your King and He is your friend. Why is that story so powerful? Because it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. See, here's the reality of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, perfection Himself, the One who chose to give life because He is life, made an active choice to be of benefit to you and I, even though we do not deserve it. One who had performed or committed no sin, allowed Himself to be unfairly trialed, allowed Himself to be tortured and ridiculed, and suffer and to take up a tool of execution and walk through the city of Jerusalem, being spat on and despaired so that He could get to a moment so He would not run from it so He could be nailed to it and lifted up so that everybody could see His nakedness and the broken body He took. Also that He could give His life. Why? His life for your life. His perfection for my imperfection. His peace for my anxiety and fear. He did a divine transaction that is fresh today as the moment it happened. And so for many of us here, I know for many of us, the reality of following Jesus is something that something we're actively pursuing. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.